Well, if you were here this past Wednesday for our Ash Wednesday service, you might remember I talked about my experiencing and conducting interviews to hire employees, and I shared that I had this confidence about my interviewing skills, but then I told you about Molly, and so if you weren't here, Molly was one of my greatest mishires of in my entire working career. In Molly, we thought we had a diamond, but what we actually had was a piece of coal that was ready to burn. And the reason I share that again is because Molly's story shows we don't always know what is in the heart of a person. But Jesus always knows. We can't hide from God because Jesus knows what is in a man and a woman. And this morning, our message will continue the interviewing for a job kind of theme, but we're going to have a little twist to it. This time, instead of me conducting the interview, I'm going to tell you about a time when I was interviewed. It was a long time ago. I was in college. I can't remember exactly, but I think I had at least a year and a half to graduate from my undergrad. I was working on a degree in chemistry, and I was doing well. I was doing really well. I was a, a very confident 20 or 21-year-old. And someone, it actually might have been my mom, had a connection with a big agricultural company in St. Louis. And I was really anxious to get out of school and start my career, start making some money. So I applied for a chemist position. It didn't happen with chemists back then. I remember bragging to my friends about my interview with chemists back then. I remember bragging to my friends about my interview. And yet back then. I remember bragging to my friends about my interview. And yes, you could say, I remember bragging to my friends about my interview. And yes, you could say I was, I remember bragging to my friends about my interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky. I remember bragging to my friends about my interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky. Bragging to my friends about my interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky and friends about my interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky and a whole lot about my interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky and a whole lot of proud interview. And yes, you could say I was a bit cocky and a whole lot of proud. Well, the day of my interviews came, I was one very sharp-dressed man. I was ready to show him what I had. And my first interview was with the guy, the Ph.D. chemist. He was the director of the department where I hoped to work. And starting with him was nerve-wracking. But I had this. After just a, a few minutes of small talk, the director asked me to go to the blackboard. And yes, they had blackboards back then with chalk and erasers. We all remember those. People these days may not. But I don't remember exactly what this Ph.D. chemist said, but it went something like this. He said, starting with glycine, paraformaldehyde and dimethylphosphite make N-phosphonylmethylglycine. Sounds easy, right? I was a chemist, or almost to be a chemist, and I wasn't even sure what N-phosphonylmethylglycine was. And today I can hardly pronounce it. Well, that compound, the, the phosphonyl one, is, is better known as glyphosate. It's the active component of a po very popular herbicide used in homes and farms that's been in the news lately. And 
I have to apologize, but I can't help myself. I have to make an editorial comment as a chemist. I just feel like I gotta do this because glyphosate and its trade name's been in the news. It's safe. If you drink it or you take a bath in it every day for 20 years, you're gonna get sick. But if you use it correctly, it's safe. In fact, last year, the EPA reaffirmed its stance that this chemical presents no risk to human health, and yet people are winning lawsuits. It's kind of crazy. And with that, I conclude my editorial comment for today. <laughs> now, back to my interview. So, I had no clue how to make this thing. I told the, the PhD director, I said, I can't do it. I failed. I realized at that moment, my chances of getting hired were now zero. And I still had seven interviews to go. And each interview asked me the same question, how do you make glyphosate? I have to tell you, by the third interview, though, I could do it with ease. I could tell you the whole process. Still, it was a very long and painful day. I left around 5 p.m. with my tail between my legs. I had been humbled. I had gone into that interview very confident, overconfident. I came out of that day realizing I had a lot to learn. For one thing, I probably should have spent some time studying the products that this company made. It might have helped. Well, I have to tell you, there is an interesting end to this story. A little over 20 years later, I got a job working for a company that was hired by this agricultural company. And so my dream job back then kind of came true. Well, I shared that story because I have something in common with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. See, like me, Nicodemus had a false sense of confidence, and he too was humbled. Nicodemus had an encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3. And so this morning, we'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. On Ash Wednesday, we covered the last line of John 2, and it read, Jesus knew what was in a man. The very next line in the Bible states, now there was a man. Jesus knew what was in a man, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. See, John is going to now give us an example of a man, the type of man that Jesus knew. And so reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which have born is spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's begin this morning by talking about what we know about this man that Jesus is talking to, this Nicodemus. The first thing is, is he was a Pharisee, and he was also a leader. 
John calls Nicodemus a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now, for those of you who are are familiar with your Bible, hearing that title, Pharisee, brings up some mental images. And they're probably not images filled with respect. You see, as we look back and know the story of the Gospels, we typically picture the Pharisees as being clueless. They didn't realize who Jesus was. He was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. Not only didn't they recognize him, but they opposed Jesus. They sought to have him killed. Jesus called the Pharisees names. Names like whitewashed tombs, vipers, and hypocrites. Jesus called them evil. We would never want to be labeled as a Pharisee. But that is not the image a typical Jewish person would have had living back then in the first century. Pharisees back then were respected religious leaders. People looked up to them. Nicodemus was likely a member of the Sanhedrin, and the the Sanhedrin included 70 men led by the high priest who served as a governing body of a nation. The Pharisees had political power. They were scholars. They were well-trained. They knew the scriptures. And the Pharisees actually set a very good example by following God's laws. In fact, they were so concerned about keeping God's laws that they made up their own set of additional rules because they kind of liked rules. Rules were good. The more rules, the better. Sadly, rules became their God. Think about it this way. You got a dog. You want to keep the dog in the yard, so what do you do? You put up a fence. But, but you really want to make sure Fido doesn't get out, so you build a, another fence around the original fence. And that's what the Pharisees did. God's law was that first fence. They built another fence of man-made laws around God's laws. And that was wrong. It wasn't what God desired. See, they made religion all about keeping a list of rules, and there were hundreds of them. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is all about our relationship with Jesus, and we're obedient to God's direction because we love Jesus. The truth is, the Pharisees were very proud of their religiosity. They were proud of their religion. And it's very possible that Nicodemus himself was just a little bit full of himself. Nicodemus began this conversation with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, and no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus was polite, but there was some attitude in his words. He was a Pharisee. He was coming to Jesus, and he had the upper hand, and scholars generally agree that Nicodemus came to Jesus with an attitude of superiority. He also came at night. This confident Pharisee didn't want his peers or anyone else to see him with Jesus. Nicodemus was confident but afraid. Kind of a strange combination. But the fact of the matter is that you and I share some things in common with this man, Nicodemus. We like to look smart. We can be a little full of ourselves. Think about my disastrous interview. I thought I was smart. I learned. I was overconfident. 
And, and this might be hard for all of us to admit, but like the Pharisees, we have our own little list of rede- uh, religious credentials, our little list of things that make us good Christians. They might include, I'm a good person. I don't do the things other people do. I go to church every week. I give money to the church. I volunteer at church. My family has a long history at Bethesda. I take ownership of the church. The church needs me. We might also say, you know what, I pray a lot. I pray for other people. I know my Bible, and I can quote Scripture. And these can be very good things. But they can also prove that we're not so smart. Because if you heard me describe that list, they were all about us. They were all about me. We're proud. We know what is best. We're good Christians. We tell God what he should or shouldn't do. We question God when he doesn't do things the way we think. God has revealed himself to us through Christ. But we only have a minute understanding of God. And what we often like to do, and we don't mean to do it, but we do it, we put God in a box. We keep him in that box in a way that we can kind of control him. And it just doesn't work. See, Nicodemus wasn't nearly as smart as he thought. His heart needed a radical change. Jesus said Nicodemus had to be born again. And the fact is, so do we. After Nicodemus made his polite introduction to Jesus, Jesus countered with a statement that Nicodemus didn't understand. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus answered, and he said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus was thinking physically. He was right. We can't enter our mom's womb a second time, but it just showed that Nicodemus didn't get it. The scholarly, politically powerful, religious leader, the Pharisee, was clueless as to what Jesus was talking about. And so then Jesus elaborated. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus then continued, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It blew Nicodemus' mind. Scholar Leon Morris wrote, in one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for and demands that Nicodemus be remade by the power of God. Now, in Nicodemus' defense, The term born again was not really known in his day. Jesus was introducing kind of a new concept to him, but it was an essential one. And the fact is, is that term born again still challenges many people today. Like Nicodemus, we might wonder what it means to be born of the water and the spirit. And some would say, well, the water means baptism, but There's a problem with that because there's nothing in this passage to indicate baptism. Others think, well, maybe this means two different births. Births, water is our natural physical birth, and the spirit is our supernatural birth. But there's a better way to understand being born 
of the water and the Spirit. And that's to realize that Jesus here was talking of one event that's called regeneration. And Ezekiel 36, 25, and 26 provides support. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. It's one action of rebirth. Commentator Matt Carter says being born again is the total transformation of a person from the inside out. To be born again is to have a complete change of our heart and our character. We say we're new creations in Christ because we are. And understanding that truth brings us to at least three things that Jesus taught this man, Nicodemus, and us about being born again. The first thing is it's necessary. In verse 3, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he repeated, he's saying, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit. In verse 7, Jesus said again, he said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He was making a point. We must be born again to enter God's kingdom both here and in heaven. In Ephesians 2.1, the Apostle Paul wrote that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And then a few verses later, he continued, he said, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And what he was saying is without Christ, we're dead in our sins. We're spiritually dead. And dead stuff doesn't come back to life on its own. To enter heaven, we must be spiritually reborn to life. And that brings us to the second truth Jesus taught about being born again, and it's that it is of God. Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He also said the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know from where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, being born again is a spiritual birth. Jesus said we must be born again. And being born again isn't a, a feeling that comes from reading the Bible. It's not a... a mountaintop experience of being at a church service or a Christian concert or even doing something nice for someone. See, we don't make it happen. Being born again is the action of the Holy Spirit inside us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. And what that means is he breathes new life into us. The Holy Spirit turns us from our sin toward God. I read this statement recently. It says, if you're a Christian... You didn't become one because you are particularly lovable, smart, or talented. You are a Christian because the Spirit of God blew where he wished, and he wished to blow in your soul. We don't work our way into God's kingdom. It's through Holy Spirit rebirth. It's through grace and faith, both of which are gifts from God. The Holy Spirit turns our heart to Jesus, and then you and I are able to respond in faith. Je Jesus taught a third truth about man, 
And it's that it's revealed by our life. I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard this, and maybe you've said it yourself, I've been a Christian all my life. I don't remember a a born-again moment. And I would say, you know what, I understand that statement. And I could say the same, but the truth is, even for a person who grew up as a Christian, and that's all they knew, there was a moment when the Spirit turned your heart. Wayne Grudem states it this way. He says, we do not always know exactly when this instantaneous change of being born again occurs. He goes on, he says, especially for children growing up in a Christian home or for people who attend an evangelical church and grow gradually in their understanding of the gospel over time. For them, there may not be a a radical crisis that accompanies a radical change of behavior from hardened sinner to holy saint. And what Grudem was saying here is that if you grew up in the church and you can't remember when you never were a Christian or you've been in the church and you felt like you've grown over time, you may not remember an exact moment when you were born again. But if you're a Christian, there was such a moment. Being born again becomes evident as our behaviors and our attitude change. Being born again brings a noticeable change in how we speak and in how we think and in how we live. Several years ago, there was a a week New Year's Eve tornado near my house in Fenton. And I had lunch that day in Arnold with one of our young people. And as I drove back from lunch, I drove under Highway 30 on 141 towards Fenton, and it became very obvious where the tornado had passed. There was a clear line across the road. On one side of the line, the road was wet but clean. On the other side of this very clear line, the street was wet, but it was also filled with tree limbs, small pieces of building debris. I didn't see the tornado, but I knew its exact path. And it's the same way with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, blowing where it will. We can't predict when or into whom the Spirit will enter. We can't see the Holy Spirit. But we can see the change the Holy Spirit initiated in someone who's been born again. They look different. Something in their attitude and actions change. And for us, we look different. We start looking more like Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to become just like Jesus. But people will notice. So do you wonder if someone has been born again of the Spirit? Take a look at their life. How are they living? And then I encourage us all to take a look at our own life. Does our life show evidence that we have been born again? And if not, Pray that the Holy Spirit would change you. Invite Jesus into your heart. Confess that you need Jesus. Talk to Pastor David or I. Amen.